Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, June the 17th, 2023. It is currently 3.42 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. The book of Jeremiah. We're still working through it, and we will be working through it all summer. And I've been sitting here reading it, thinking about it. I've been listening to sermons, reading commentaries, just kind of just working on the book of Jeremiah, first and foremost preparing for church tomorrow, where I'm hoping to spend three hours teaching from the book of Jeremiah. At least that is the plan. At least two hours teaching from the book of Jeremiah. We'll see how Sunday night goes. And as I was reading and trying to, to think about that, all of a sudden I, I, I came across something and I'm like, oh boy, what do we do with this? How do we, how do we address this? How do we understand this? How do we, how am I going to um, handle this? And what's the best way? And is this a contradiction? And what are the different possible views and interpreting this? I mean, lots of questions started coming to mind. So I thought, you know what? Let's turn on the microphone and let's address and speak to all of the students in the Bible study exercise on the book of Jeremiah. And let's get everyone to the table. Everyone can bring their Bible, their notebooks, their commentaries, their reference tools, and let's let's get everyone involved in this process, looking at this possible problem. Now, last night, we were looking at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 20. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 20, where we read these words, For of old time I have broken thy yoke and burst thy bands, And thou saidest, I will not transgress when upon every high hill and under every green tree thou wanderest playing the harlot. And when we looked at Jeremiah 2.20, we realized that there's a possible problem. Who was breaking the yoke? Who was bursting the bands? View number one, God. This is view number one. God is the one who broke the yoke. He burst the bands when he delivered them from Egypt. And then Israel said, hey, we're going to obey. And then they turned into a prostitute. All right. That's view number one. That is, This is God saying, I de- basically, I delivered you. You made a promise and then you became a prostitute. You were found unfaithful. Others interpret this. As, and, and this is uh, the, uh, the second view is more based on the Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate. And this view seems to say, no, this is basically Israel. This is Judah saying, you know what? We, we do not want your restraint. We do not want your rules. We do not want your morality. We're throwing off your restraint. We're throwing off your restrictions and we are not going to serve you because there's a completely different way of translating. Some people, some trans, uh, translations have, um, um, we, uh, we will not transgress. Others have, we will not serve. But so the second view is this is basically Judah and Israel saying, Hey, we don't want any of your restrictions. We're not going to serve you. And we're going to go basically be a prostitute and serve other gods. Two very different views. 
Now, as we examined those views dealt with, and read some commentaries showing how different commentaries went different, different ways, we also reviewed a little bit of an audio from a sermon. The sermon is called Enticed by Steve Lyon, L-Y-O-N. We reviewed a little bit of that. And when he started looking at Jeremiah 2.20, he kind of took the word yoke and he, he kind of started talking about kind of the language of marriage, right? The language of marriage and that the yoke kind of represents like maybe marriage. Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And I talked about how in some wedding ceremonies, they will literally place a yoke on the man and the woman, the bride and the groom, right? They're, they are yoked together. So this is almost, is this saying, is this Israel? Because is it either God saying, hey, this yoke, this marital relationship that we are in, I'm breaking it? Or is it Israel saying, hey, I know, or Judah, I I know in a sense we're married to you, but we're breaking the yoke and we're going to go give ourselves to another, well, another God or other gods. We're going to prostitute ourselves. Is this breaking of the yoke, no matter if it's God speaking or if it's, Judah, Israel speaking, it's, it, it's really, it's, it's, it's this idea of breaking maybe the marital yoke. Is that a correct way of understanding it? Now, most will either say, if it's God breaking the yoke, it's them being delivered from Egypt. If it's Israel, Judah breaking the yoke or the, or the bonds or the, you know, their, 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 their restrictions, it's them just simply resisting God's law. But I wonder if this has something to do with kind of a marital kind of language. Now, the pastor, when we were listening to it, he kind of went there and then he just, he just dropped it. He just kind of left it. He didn't really, he didn't really take it any further. It's almost like he had the idea and then somewhere right in the sermon, he just left it. He just forgot it and just moved on. Now, I've done that in a sermon where I think I've articulated an idea, and then I just abandon the idea and move on to something else. It can happen anytime. So I don't know if he decided he didn't want to pursue it. I don't know if he felt uncomfortable with it. I don't know if he just wanted to kind of give an idea of what a yoke was. Um, He did kind of use the cattle illustration, but then he went to the marriage. And then as soon as he started thinking the marriage, I'm like, well, you do have... This idea here of them playing a harlot. So I'm like, okay. All right. So we gave it some thought last night. Well, then today, whenever I've had the opportunity, I have tried to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. Well, we know in verses 1 through 5, once again, we have this idea of a harlot, this idea of spiritual adultery. So we once again, we have this unfaithfulness idea. And then we read this in Jeremiah 3, 6. Now listen carefully. Then the Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and upon every green tree and there hath played the harlot. And I said, after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she she returned not And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Now, clearly that's referencing Israel as the northern kingdom. She's not using it in a generic way. It's specifically the northern kingdom. Judah saw it. They, 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 uh, you know, obviously didn't do anything. Look at verse six or verse eight. And I saw when, and I saw 
when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away. Now, listen carefully. God had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister, Judah, feared not, but went out and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the likeness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. Both the North and the South commit spiritual adultery. Both the North and the South South basically are harlots, are, are prostitute themselves to be very blunt whores, uh, spiritually speaking. All right, so... When I read that today, all of a sudden, I was like, divorce. Now, in this case, it's not to get into a discussion about divorce between a man and a woman. This is about God's divorce. Like, if you have someone in your church, you're like, oh, oh, and they start talking to you. Oh, yeah, I'm divorced. Well, our our God, it, do we understand God is someone who was divorced? Did God get a divorce? And if God got a divorce, I'm not even, listen, I'm not even trying to then go to what that could possibly mean for other people. I'm not even trying to go there right now. I just, how do we understand our, our God is a God who got a divorce? What does that mean? And what does that mean for Israel? What does that mean for Judah? Now, this has major implications when you start studying eschatology, because some people will see, well, you see, God got a divorce. He was done with Judah and Israel. So no promises for future this or future that is for the nation. God divorced the nation. And now he takes all of those promises that appears to be for the nation and he gives them to a new bride. He divorced Israel like that. That marriage fell apart. God got rid of that wife and he got a new wife called the church. Did God divorce an old wife, Israel, and marry a new wife, the church? And what not only does what does that mean for your view of eschatology? What does that mean, Justin? Well, then wait a minute. If God could divorce them, why can't he divorce us? Like if God is one like, hey, you've been unfaithful, I'm getting rid of you. Well, then why would he get rid of us when he were unfaithful? How does that impact your view on spirit, on the eternal security of a believer? What do we do with this idea that God got a divorce? So for the Bible study exercise participants, I want you to go all in on this. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, I want you to look for all the language that speaks of God and Israel, God and Judah as like a marriage language. Like you are my, you, uh, you know, I am espoused to you. You married a bride, any language that would speak of kind of this relationship as a marriage, as a husband and wife. Find that language. There's a number of verses, not just in the book of Jeremiah anywhere. I say, yes, God definitely speaks of Israel and Judah as a, in, in marriage language. He uses that figurative language as a marriage. Find all of those scriptures. Then second, find all the scriptures that speak of God divorcing them, not just in Jeremiah, everywhere. Okay, yes, the the marriage the, the figurative language of marriage is used to describe God's relationship with Israel, with Judah. Clearly, this figurative language of getting a divorce is used about Israel and Judah. 
that at least just establish those facts. And then you can just, all you got to do is just find those references, right? Just read them. You don't have to do anything major about it. And then I just want you to sit and think about all the possible implications. What does it mean? Now, I'm asking, part, one of the reasons I'm asking this question is because I came across this. This was published one year and seven months ago. And this is in a kind of a online form for biblical hermeneutics. Someone asked this question one year and seven months ago. Did God, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12 contradict Deuteronomy 24.4 by letting Israel return to him. Now, I want you to find all the marriage language. I want you to find the divorce language. I'm not going to have you do the the third thing is an obvious thing, but I'm not, that's kind of hinted here, but I'm not going to have you do that right now. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk about that later. Right now, I I don't want to give you too much. And then I just want you to think about the implications of God getting a divorce. But someone's like, wait a minute. Did God contradict Deuteronomy 24, 4? Right? Here here is how they have it. In this kind of form, they quote Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses, I think, 1 through, I'm guessing 1 through 4. But here's what they have, all right? If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her forth from his house. And if after she leaves the house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from the house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again. After she has been defiled, that would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land. The Lord your God is is giving you as an inheritance. Now, please note, this seems to be establishing, hey, if a man gets rid of, uh, puts the the woman away because he finds something indecent in her, if he can't and she marries another man, he, he can never bring her back. Now, you see where this goes. If that's the law, well, what if God says, hey, Israel, I found something indecent in you. I'm putting you away. But then some point seems to be wanting to bring her back. Can he bring her back? Well, look, so that's Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Now look at, uh, fast forward now to Jeremiah chapter 3. If a man, verse 1, if a man, is this Jeremiah 3, 1? Yes, Jeremiah 3, 1. If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? Not according to Deuteronomy 24, 4. Would not the land be completely defiled? Yet the land of Israel was an adulterous wife, but you have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me? According to Deuteronomy 24, 4, God would not take her back. I give faithless Israel a certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithfulness sister Judah had no fear. She also went and committed adultery. That's uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. 
That's Jeremiah 3, 8. I'll read it in this translation, Jeremiah 3, 8. And I saw then for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. So if God divorced them because of their unfaithfulness, can he bring them back? According to this article, well, Deuteronomy 24.4 would say, no, he could not bring her back. But then look at Jeremiah 3.12. Look at Jeremiah 3.12. Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, return thou backslidden Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thy iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered the ways to the strangers unto every green tree and you have not uh, uh, and ye have not obeyed my voice saith the Lord turn o backsliding children saith the Lord I am merciful unto you and I will take you one I will take you one of a city and two of a family and I will bring you to Zion this is seeming to say God will say I will bring you back now Here's the question. Does God override Deuteronomy 24.4 by letting the defiled wife Israel return to her husband, God? Now, I've got a lot of the possible answers here. There's, (laughs) There's a lot going on here, but I want you to consider that. How would you work around it? What would you do? How would you try to answer this? Is it a contradiction? More so, whether it's a contradiction, just what are the implications? Because I think your implications are either one, God divorced Israel and Judah and replaced her with a new bride called the church. But the church is just as unfaithful as Israel. So if he put her away, why would he put us away? How can we be sure he won't put us away? Or did God simply say, and like we can think about it this way, and and I'm going to kind of throw out, was the whole certificate of divorce and putting away only done because of the hardness of people's heart, because of sin? And that's the only reason that happened. But God, even though he put away, he's more merciful, doesn't have a hard heart. So he overrides what was allowed because of the hardness of people's heart. He overrides it because he proves to be merciful and and faithful even when we aren't faithful. Is that a possible Answer. I, I would like to work, read through all of these answers, but I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that right now. I want you just to start thinking about this. What are the implications here? I have a hard time saying, "Hey, I'm, I'm part of the bride of Christ," and guess what? We're God's second wife. The first relationship didn't work out so well. Well, why did he get rid of his first wife? Well, she was unfaithful. So then, what does that mean? Well. <laughs> that means uh, that means we're probably going to be divorced. I, I don't know. Like I don't. How do you work that? Now I understand this is figurative language. So how far do you take the figurative language? Is the point here? Is God just using this figurative language simply to establish a very simple fact? Hey, we. I've described us as a marital relationship. I've described it that way. So using that figurative language, 
in a sense, I've given her a certificate of divorce, meaning she's going off into captivity. She's going to the Assyrians or Judah. You're going to Babylon, but I will bring you back. Like he's only using the figurative language really to show the severity of the unfaithfulness, to show you that it's spiritual adultery. It's not meant to establish some, like you don't take this figurative language and run with it and create all of these like, well, then that means God is completely done with Israel. And yes, he did replace her with us. And I don't know, I don't know if it's supposed to be taken that far or it's just very figurative language to create an emotional response in the reader. Like, man, they're an unfaithful wife. They are, they were cheating on God nonstop. And then God had to put away, put them away and they had to go off into captivity. And that's as far as the story is to go. And then we read these beautiful passages of God saying, you're going to return and I'm going to bring you back into the land. And then all of the promises that show up throughout Jeremiah of God promising to bring them back. And those promises of them bringing, bringing them back goes throughout the entire Bible. Another article states it this way. One of the ways in which God assures his people of his love for them is to describe himself as their husband. For example, the prophet says to Judah, your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. And we seem to have that kind of language used in Isaiah 54, Jeremiah 3.14, and Jeremiah 31.32, not to do all of the work for you, but to start having you find all of those scriptures where God speaks to Israel and Judah as husband and wife, that marriage, that marriage illustration. Israel often proved to be an unfaithful spouse, committing spiritual adultery by worshiping false gods and forsaking the Lord. In fact, it was due to idolatry that God spoke this word. This is Jeremiah 3, 8 through 10. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land, committed adultery with stones and wood. In spite of all of this, her unfaithful sister, Judah, did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense. In this passage, God warns Judah against making the same mistake that Israel their neighbor to the north had made in their idolatry. Israel had polluted the land, broken their covenant with God. Due to the enormity of their sin, God punished Israel, and he illustrates that punishment like this. He divorced Israel and sent them away. A reference to the Assyrian invasion, which resulted in Israel's removal from their homeland, and that's in 2 Kings 17, 5 through 7. Even given the example of Israel's divorce, Judah remained unfaithful as if daring God to mete out a similar punishment on them. Having just cause, God, the faithful husband, divorced Israel, his unfaithful wife. To make matters worse, God had asked if a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, sh should he returned to her again, Jeremiah 3.1. The answer, according to the Mosaic law, was no. A man who had divorced his wife could not later remarry her, Deuteronomy 24.1-4. According to God's metaphor, Israel seems to be in a hopeless situation. She had been divorced by God, and according to the law, she can never be accepted back. Now, if we take this, 
with a proper law gospel distinction, now this may even become more powerful. According to the law, there is no hope. Look, according to the law, there's no hope for you. There's no hope for me. According to the law, you deserve wrath, condemnation. You deserve an eternal divorcement from God to be sent away into hell forever. The law would absolutely condemn you. No hope, no forgiveness, no mercy, no second chance. The law doesn't offer any of that. It only offers to be condemned. So the law would condemn Israel as no hope, unfaithful wife, never to be brought back. And God would condemn us as the unfaithful to never be taken back. So the law condemns. Now, let's see what they say. But then comes a surprising twist. God's mercy intervenes. Jeremiah 3, 12. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Jeremiah 3, 12. 12. Please don't. I am faithful. You are not faithful. You are the adulterous wife. You are the, the whore. You are the prostitute. And the same passage in which God sets up a scenario of hopelessness for Israel, he invites his people to return to him and promises that his anger will end. Could it be that God's love is stronger than his people's rebellion? Now, or could it be that God's love, God's mercy is the answer to the law which condemns? Jeremiah 3.14, return faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you and bring you to Zion. God promised to do what the Mosaic law could never do, restore the broken marriage. It was unthinkable that a husband would take back his unfaithful wife, but God is greater than that. He can and will forgive his wayward people when they repent of their sin and seek him. God used the shocking illustration of a divorce of Israel to stress their guilt before him. But God never cut Israel off in a a complete way um, for all time. He only asked that they would return to him and experience his goodness. In fact, after God says that he divorced Israel, he commands three times to return. Jeremiah 3.11, 3.14, and 3.23. The apostle Paul explains, did God reject his people By no means. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. At the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were grace, it would no longer, if it, if it, uh, no longer based on works. If it were works, grace would no longer be grace. Again, I asked, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. Romans 11, one through six, verse 11 and verse 23. Meaning that what God is saying has, hey, look, according to the law, they should be done away with. They should be forgotten. They should be thrown out. But God is greater than their sin. God's mercy, the God's mercy, the gospel can do that, which the law can't. All the law says is uh, you should never be taken back. You can't be taken back. You are condemned. For your, no, no coming back. But the gospel says, yeah, return unto me. You said, but the law says you can't. But the gospel says you can because God's mercy is greater than the condemnation of the law. Is that the picture we're supposed to take from this? 
to me, if God is completely done away with Israel, then then it shows that sin is greater than God. It shows that God electing Israel could be done away with. It could be changed. And if God just takes on another bride, that's a major problem. Another illustration of God's amazing goodness is found in the story of the prophet Hosea. God actually commanded Hosea to marry a prostitute. She did not remain faithful to Hosea. Then while while his wife was living in immorality, the Lord commanded Hosea to find her and buy her back. God's purpose was to show that the greatness of his grace, love uh, the greatness of his grace, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods, Hosea 3.1. Hosea's grace towards his unfaithful wife is a model of God's grace towards his unfaithful people. Israel had been chosen and loved by God, yet they were unfaithful to him by the way of idolatry. In Jeremiah 3, God gives them a bill of divorcement, but then he pleads with them to come back. And Hosea, God pursues and redeems his estranged wife and seeks to continue his relationship with her. Both stories provide an unforgettable picture of God's strong, unending love for his covenant people. How can a divorced wife return and be restored? The law forbade it, but mercy triumphs over judgment. And God still has a plan for Israel. God's grace in the new covenant provided restoration for all who would believe in Christ. Now that's from gotquestions.org. Did God divorce Israel? You can look at that as well. But I want you to find all the verses where God speaks about Israel and Judah in a marriage language, and then where God says he will divorce them. Then when then, then what we can do is we go through Jeremiah, we look for every time there seems to be this promise of res- restoration, this prophecy that they're going to be restored. And then we look at that and go, has it ever been restored that way? I'm going to argue over and over, it hasn't. And I don't think it would be fair to take those promises and give them to the church because that would mean God put away that wife and he's got a second wife. Now, you could argue, well, wait a minute, if we draw a proper distinction between Israel and the church, then doesn't he have two wives? I understand that can become complicated because he uses the language for both. Now, I think you can see that you could do it this way. Can we draw a distinction between the nation of Israel and the church as an institution And where we are no longer Jew and Gentile, where there is unity is in the invisible body of Christ, which is made up of Jew and Gentile. And and there we are one bride. However, there is this distinction between the nation of Israel, which God has specific promises for, and the institution of the church. Those are different. I don't know if that works out perfectly because you don't want, you don't want God being the divorced person who has a second wife. But you also don't want God being a polygamist either, right? I mean, so that's the problem with figurative language is how far you take it. To me, I think the simple point is, hey, you're my wife. You committed adultery. I'm putting you away. And yes, the law says I can never bring you back, but I can because the law, where the law condemns, the gospel saves. Where the law forbids, the gospel can intervene and overcome the condemnation of it. I want you to look at that language in chapter 3 of the divorce. I want you to look at it. 
I want you to look at every time because I think maybe there's a beautiful picture there. Now, I know we can we can try to get into the very small details and we could create some problems. So sometimes figurative language, you can just go, you can run it so far that you just drive yourself into a wall or you can pull back and go, okay, that figurative language is really leading me to see, well, the unfaithfulness of them, how unfaithful they're cheating on God. They're a whore. They're a prostitute. And God says, hey, I I have to put you away, but I'm going to bring you back. Because my grace is greater than your sin. I would love to get your thoughts on all of this. I would love to get your thoughts on all of this. To just see. Now, the hermeneutic site, they go into some serious discussion. Um, some, uh, I'm just trying to read a lot of what they have to say here. Uh Okay, so they're, they're quoting a lot of Hebrew here. Uh, okay, they're saying that God's marriage to Israel, or to Israel, and I'm sorry that I had to pause there. I had to read it. I was trying to go through. The, I was trying to look at all of the language here. That basically, that God's marriage to Israel is a spiritual marriage. Therefore, it is not subject to the laws of biological marriage and uh, laid out in Deuteronomy 24. Okay, maybe, maybe. Um, I I think it just demonstrates that they that they would be condemned by the law, but God saved them in spite of it. I don't know. You, I'm, I don't want to give you too many. I just want you to work on it. I want you to think about it. What I, what I hope you see from it is great conviction and great comfort. Because I don't know about you. I'm just as much as a harlot and a whore and a prostitute as Israel ever was. In fact, I could probably teach them how to... I probably have done far worse than they've ever done. But... It did great comfort that God's mercy is greater than that. Love to get your thoughts. Email it to me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Please keep working in the book of, of I, I, I want to say Deuteronomy because we were looking at Deuteronomy 24. The book of Jeremiah. Make sure you've read all the way through chapter 12, all right? Starting tomorrow, just, uh, I would say tomorrow, start working on... Um, Chapters 13, where do we want to go? To chapter 17, tomorrow. So if you've already, if I, now when I always tell you, I'm trying to break these into smaller sections, but I'm wanting you to read the sections multiple times. So tomorrow, maybe even tonight, start in chapter 13 and go to chapter 17, 13 to 17, and start reading it over and over. So right now you want to just start focusing on chapters 1 to 17. I'll go ahead and we start transitioning into where you need to be. All right. But tomorrow we're going to be working on a little bit of, uh, of Jeremiah. I keep wanting to say Deuteronomy. Jeremiah 2. And we'll work uh, hopefully a lot on Jeremiah 3. If everything works out tomorrow night, Jeremiah 4, um, hopefully. Well, that, I know that still puts us way, way, way behind, but I don't I don't feel like skipping anything yet. There, I still Because we got all of these like amazing concepts that we have to work on. I just think it's interesting that the divorce language shows up in 3. And two, you have the breaking of the yoke, which immediately some people go to the idea of marriage, but then they then interpret 220, not necessarily in light of that. Uh, you can you can do whatever you want with that as well. Love to get your thoughts about all of it. Newsif at yahoo.com. 
newsif at yahoo.com. To all the people who've emailed me today, I've had multiple people email me today. They've been working on the book of Jeremiah, they've sent me notes and all kinds of stuff for every person, uh, how their translation translates this, all the different things. Just thank you so very much. Uh, someone uh, ordered uh, a book on Jeremiah that got that in today. All the people emailing and, and doing different things today, I appreciate it because uh, when you're putting in all this work, uh, you, you hopefully people are participating and benefiting from it. All right. But we don't forget the spiritual benefit. I don't want us just to be smarter. Want us to be more convicted. Want us to be better off spiritually, right? Isn't that the goal of these three months? Come on, that's got it. We can't forget that. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. And uh, we'll see how the rest of the day goes. But I wanted to at least get this broadcast in. I know I haven't done a Today's Focus today. But uh, yeah, I mean, well, Saturdays are hard to do a Today's Focus because whatever, uh, because I'm more, because I'm focused on whatever we're going to be like, you know, preaching, but then I didn't want to take Jeremiah to a today's focus because it would take, yeah, always trying to how to organize all the podcasts and put them in the proper series is always hard, but hey, here you go. You got something to work on. Go to it. Thanks for listening. God bless.